welcome to the Keen on Yoga podcast, bringing you the stories of many people who in various ways are attempting to walk the path of yoga. Our intention is to inspire your own practice and commitment to yoga beyond the mat and in all areas of life. We consider this an offering, a service to the community and labour of love. If you feel inclined, any donations are appreciated, just visit our page and click the donate button at www.keenonyoga.co.uk forward slash podcast. I hope you enjoy the show. Today's guest on the Keenan Yoga podcast is Liz Cook. Liz never planned anything to do with the yoga world. Uh, rather, she worked as a teacher of sculpture in a university in the US for many years until they happened to involve someone in their program to teach yoga for the first thing in the mornings as a kind of warm-up. So it's from here she started to understand there was something missing in the way most people connected to their bodies, as well as how they were taught to. And this was a deeper understanding of how to connect to the core, mediated by her understanding of the psoas. So from here, Liz was asked to start writing. I don't know how that came about for the Yoga Journal. And these articles ended up turning into a book called Awareness. And this was really the first serious discussion of the psoas. And it was published in the 90s when hardly anyone had ever heard of this muscle. More recently, Liz released her second book, Stalking Wild Psoas, as an answer to it in a greater degree to the mistaken aspects of application regarding her first book. Because she does not believe in labelling and defining the body as something to be known or indeed stretched. <laughs> Instead, she treats the body as a living entity. So you work with the size from the inside out. It can only be experienced by the individual. It can't be known. To which end, in this first episode, because we'll do a second shortly, she discusses how you can't stretch the psoas out, rather you can nurture the psoas. So you're doing the whole thing from the inside out. And very interestingly, in this inside out approach, she brings into the frame of discourse a post-colonial theory and notions of patriarchy or against patriarchy and resisting our inherent inclination to control and legislate to know. So instead of that, we're trying to experience. That is, to facilitate our own expression of what it means to have a healthy psoas as opposed to someone else's. Inevitably, this is an involved discussion. So this is part one, and we shall be recording another follow-up very soon with Liz. It's a fantastic discussion episode, so I hope you enjoy it. Welcome, Liz, to the Gideon Yoga Podcast. Really happy to have you here. <laughs> So today's guest is Liz Cook, um, and really pleased to have you after reading your book many years ago. I'm really pleased to meet you, semi in person as we are now, Liz. So um, welcome to the Kingdom Yoga Podcast. Thank you, Adam. It's good to be. Yeah, and um, well, for, for as I was discussing with Liz before, for our Shangi viewers, uh, listeners, you probably don't know who Liz is. So uh, I just like to give this opportunity for for Liz to just. Just want to describe your background, and, and I don't, I don't know whether you were ever into yoga or, or how you got to be interested in the savas or an expert in the savas. What was your background to, to, you know, to writing that book I read on the savas? Yeah. yeah, so you're talking about the soas book that was written. Yeah, yes, the soas. Oh yeah, the first yes. book is from the, the first book. 1980s. Um, oh god, right. yeah, it's okay. called the soas. Uh huh. Right. I need an update. Right, so we'll move on to the later book, which sounds really interesting later. And Core Awareness um, was the next one. Yeah. Yes. Right. And that was called Enhancing Yoga, Pilates Exercise and Dance. Um, I'm a uh, 
conceptual artist. And I worked at the Boston Museum School of Fine Arts. And um, so I came into movement through uh, understanding that it changes our perception. So I'm actually interested in perception and consciousness. Um, and so my work was based on that. But when I entered a class with Bob Cooley, who wrote a beautiful book called um, uh, The Genius of Flexibility, um, he was focused, and he was a dancer, uh, so he came out of the dance background. He was focused on the psoas when I met him. And why I went to find somebody was that I had some experience. And actually, <laughs> it was the pigeon post that changed my perception. Um, so I just have to say, I did do a tiny right. bit of, of, of play in the yoga world. But anyways, I had this realization that movement changes perception. Like, you know, you start to feel different, you see the world different. And, and so I was, like, curious. I wanted more because my own body was very rigid at the time, even though I was very expansive in my thinking. And, and I was teaching flexible sculpture, which meant I was in an all-male um, sculpture department that looked at body as form, looked at shape, looked at sculpture as solid, you know, rock. And, and cement and wood. And I was bringing in all kinds of ways of working that were more uh, playful and, and soft sub, you know, materials and spaces rather than shapes. So that's my And what, what happened was in 1990, it was 1999 before there was internet, uh, Yoga Journal reached out to me. Actually, one of the editors had taken a workshop. And um, asked me to write. And so I entered the yoga world, not because I'm a yogi, but because I had something to offer the community that would maybe support their explorations or their possibilities. Right. And that was through the flexible sculpture? Or, or you know, was that, that was pre-SOAS. So how did the flexible sculpture, I've been very intrigued by the idea of flexible sculpture, or the sculpture of the, the empty shape rather than the kind of form and the four shape, how did that kind of transpire into the SOAS? Or was that the, the guy that you were working with that you found? No, you what, found ha it, what you know? happened was I continued doing flexible sculpture. I moved out to California at one point, worked up at one of the universities. Um, and, but what I was really realizing I was doing was I was playing with me. I became the sculptor. I became the, the what happens when I change my tissue? What happens when I change my form? How does that change what I see in the world or how I perceive myself or the world? So it became kind of at, at a certain point where um, Anna Halperin, who is a, a, was a dancer and a conceptual artist as well, her her work influenced mine in the sense that she looked at life and dance more as a score, not something you perform. It's not performative. So I don't think of yoga as performative, and yet it is today. You know, and I wasn't, <laughs> yeah, you know, for the most part, um, because it went into the exercise world, right? And it went into the fitness world. And, you know, years ago, you, you know, had to join, you know, and, yeah, spiritual world and now yeah, it's yeah. performative in the sense of you know you go to yoga class and you do these movements and you feel better 
You know, so then how do they combine? And sculpture was the same way. And, you know, dance is the same way. So it's, it's not what you do, it's how you do it. And so I became more curious about how you do it. And I wrote that core awareness book because I wanted to un- people to understand the very core of their being, not as something to recruit so that they could look like they were in the asana, but to actually embody and download that, you know, generational thousands of years deep knowledge through our own tissue. And the core of the being being so how was that from your experience that you started working with your stylist or Well, no, what happened was when I, when I started playing, you know, when I started attending a class of movement and really what Bob was doing was he was in the early stages of somatic, what we call now somatic movement or embodiment. In other words, at that time, it was called um, human potential. There were human potential classes in which you entered into a sensory, I know. You entered into, we need it right now, uh, into a sensory experience of yourself and tracked your sensation and the relationship it has to emotion and to thoughts. And, and so the sensory world was where he was. And he was spending a lot of time on the floor in constructive rest, which is a great way of kind of locating your psoas. But also, I wasn't looking for my psoas per se. But as I stayed there, I started to notice that uh, I kept jumping out of the position. And finally, I caught the fact that I was terrified, literally terrified. And so I started to notice my own nervousness. And I found that fascinating that, that as a human being, I'm not my nervous system. My consciousness can watch my own nervous system. I can observe my own nervous system. So I'm not my nervous system. Then. So what am I? You know, who am I? And that kind of started the journey. Also, I had a lot of pain. I had a lot of stricture in my body. And I just, I didn't even think about that. It was something I didn't have to live with. You know, it was mm. just entering that conversation of like, this, that's not normal. You know, but I have a history of scoliosis. And so, you know, I didn't know I could change all of that. And so it also entered all of that conversation. But I've never been in the physical therapy world. or I mean, I teach physical therapists. I give CEU credits to body workers, but I'm not in any of those worlds, which makes my work kind of unique, because I'm not trying to fix anybody. I'm not trying to solve a problem. But you also have some experience with the SOS. What was your experience? You wrote very eloquently about What were your experiences of it? And um, how I mean, for, for, for someone that doesn't have any understanding of this, how would you explain it? I mean, you know, we 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 we're assuming that people know what we're talking about because it is a kind of word that's that's thrown around in the yoga world these days quite a lot. Um, yet, you know, people get confused with with uh, you know, there's a whole bunch of muscles down there, right? Like. We've got the iliacus, the periformis, the psoas, you know, being the, the kind of main muscles that link your legs basically to your trunk, right? Like, what's so special about the psoas? And what was your, your kind of moment where you thought, well, oh, this is, you know, this is something deeper than my nervous system, which is essentially what you interestingly were saying there, right? Yes. So what, what I came to was that, I, and, and in the psoas book, I started approaching psoas. My students asked me to write it. It was a little manual, and then it became a book. And then it became kind of it kept traveling you know it had a life of its own and and what i was what i was starting out with was biomechanics because anybody 
who kind of says, where is this muscle, you know, is going to Google or open up an anatomy book and start looking for this. And I did the same thing. But as I kept exploring my own terrain, my own organism, it didn't make sense that it was something you recruited. It was a stabilizer. It was a hip flexor. It's like, that's not my experience of sewing. And I started talking about that. And over time, as I got more confident that I was experiencing something very different, I also read a book called The Hara. And so I became very aware of the energetic field of body and, and also posture. What posture demonstrates? What are we suggesting when we're in a particular posture? And so I, it was much more complex than looking at, oh, this is this thing. Eventually, I was introduced to embryology. And embryology is a different paradigm than biomechanics. And all of a sudden, I said, oh, my God, this is what I'm talking about. I'm in embryology. I'm experiencing embryological primal expression. I am in, uh, what's, what's in embryology? Embryology Sorry. is the development of the human being. So biomechanics is looking at dead tissue. You're looking at dead. What is dead? You're taking, you're objectifying the body, you're cutting it open, you're putting it in boxes. It's called reductionist thinking. We're looking mm. at, you know, okay, all this tissue goes in the muscle box, all this tissue goes in the bone box, all this tissue goes in the nerve box, and so as was put in the muscle box. But I don't think it's a muscle. And now that we're studying connective tissue, lo and behold, we can start to understand that we're, the qualities of being are very fluid, that if you take space away from the organism, you're 90% water, you know, or some level of fluid, whether that's blood or tears or sweat or, you know, and, and that, the, that we're not made up of a we're made up of a matrix that is literally not carrying fluid, is fluid. So as is the juiciest tissue in the very core. It is the filet mignon. It is the, the tenderloin. And if you're a vegetarian, think of it as a, as a, a peeled uh, cube. Okay? It's the juiciness. It's orbital. It's uh, as big as your fist. And it's dynamic. It's expressive. It's not something you lock down. It's something you allow to, to flourish. So it changed the model, the paradigm of body as object to body as process. Because in embryology, you are the embryo forever. The embryo is like the seed. It's still unfolding. You are still as an organism unfolding. Your cells are a momentary aspect of a metabolic or energetic process. You are not a thing. And so as long as we use the construct of I'm a thing, I'm going to fix this thing, you can't understand psoas. You have to actually remember what it is to be a living organism, to be a living river. Your, your core is more like a living river than it is a column. Right, so you can't actually know it as such because that would be to close it down, right? So. In which case, how do you make the effort to, to embody it? Well, you are it. You know, it's right. you. So the way I describe psoas now is that psoas is a messenger of your central nervous system, or what in embryology is called your midline. So what the big change is here, and I think it's really appropriate in the, the yoga world, is that rather than look at ourselves as a column, 
the spinal column. When you're using that model, all tissue from the spine forward flexes, all tissue from the spine back extends. Okay, there is no being. There's no soul. There's no, you know, you're just an object. Okay, but if you look at embryology, first and foremost, when the cells, when you, the cells begin to divide and multiply for you to unfold into the world, you are circulating around an axis. Ah, the axis of your own being connected to the axis of your mother's being connected to the Earth's axis, to the cosmos. Okay, and all of a sudden, you are in touch with a bio uh, intelligence in which you are being both returning to and being shaped by. And that core in embryology, this is science, okay, mm -hmm. uh, uh, is, is where we emerge from. So now, if you look at it from a physics point of view, you're kind of more like a donut. You're, you're, you actually have a field of energy within you. You know, it's called an orbital field, the axis mundi. It's the, it's the, it's the in Chinese medicine, it's the governing vessel, it's the consumption vessel. I mean, it's called all different things in different conditions. But we're talking about, and in Taoist healing, it's called, so as is called the muscle of the soul. So now we're not manipulating the psoas. We're not trying to control it. We're not trying to get it to do what we want. We're actually listening to its messages. And we're, made, we're not recruiting it. So we're not misusing it, overusing it, or abusing it. This tissue is very, when you're, when you're tuned into a healthy psoas, it's, it's very fluid and almost like touching a cloud or something with your awareness. Like you can't really, you know, get a hold of it. So if you go mm -hmm. into those psoases that you go, I can really feel it, you're misusing it. And this, you said, was kind of touched on in latest book, which is the idea of the kind of colonial perspective on body work, right? Or I mean, kind of, would it be a patriarchal colonial idea about kind of objectifying and putting... Quantifying something and kind of holding on to it as rather than sort of letting something expand naturally into space. Um, I don't know whether I put that in the right way, but it seems nebulous though. How, how would, how would one start to work on something which is just a messenger apart from just allowing the space? Is, is that literally what one does? Lie down. And I mean, and I think you, you do actually talk. I think that was the first time I tried the constructive rest from your book with the belts around the knees on a practical level, right? And just allowing that, that release there. Is that, I mean, Yeah, in my, books, trying, in my sorry. books, you'll never see a belt around the knees. And so people use constructive okay. rest in yoga a lot, and they yeah. refer to my book, but they use different yeah. images. So, so the reason why, here's the reason why, is that, yes, you could use a belt, and, and that would help you kind of locate where your legs are, right? And it would, for a lot of people, because their legs fall out, it would give them a sense of where the muscular tension they're holding. But that's not what gets you into psoas. What gets you into psoas is your bones. And so weight is better than belts. Because what we want is good proprioception. And proprioception, and specifically skeletal proprioception, is an internal sense of landing and locating. So think of wild animal body. You know, if the animal can't locate on the earth, they can't feel their bones on the earth, they're in jeopardy 
of being eaten. They are not, they can't feel and sense what's happening in the environment they're in. In the colonized, objectified body, you don't have a space and time. You simply have a body. It's moving through a landscape. Nothing is alive. You are not an animal. You are an object. So as long as you move mechanistically through space, you're good to go. But we're not. We're a living organism. We're part of an ecosystem. We're responding much deeper. So when you can sense your bones, so let's use constructive rest. Very practical one. If you get into constructive rest, which is on your back, knees up, feet on the floor, aligning Mm -hmm. your feet parallel to each other. And at this point, I often just say, if you're not sure where the where your feet go in relationship to your butt, like how close to your butt, you're not looking at abdominals. You're you want to be able to feel your whole foot on the ground. But say when you're there, all you feel is this tension in your legs and it wants to fall in or fall out. Then put weight. Put little sandbags on your feet. Start to feel ground. Start to land. Or on your knees, just something small on your knees that gives you a sense of connection between joints. It's in the joints where we find location, literal location, not only range of motion, but location, eco-location on the earth. Hmm. There's also, I think it's pretty difficult for people in this day and age because Obviously, the colonial perspective of the you know the kind of masculine patriarchal idea is a process towards an aim, particular aim being something rather than just being. Yes. And, you know, <laughs> I think there you go. The incredible, you know, the most incredibly difficult posture for people in yoga class is at the end where they have to lie down and and maybe stay there for ten minutes. Um, and well, I, I suppose when you're really referring to constructive rest, is that it seems like the primary technique to get into this. Feeling and, I, and you, you, you referred you to your in your new title to stalking the wild, and it is coming back to like I said, like a rewilding idea to use a, a currently popular term, right? Yes, it's coming back to oneself without any construct around it. Someone saying, Well, you have to be like this, and this is where you're going with your yoga, and this is where you know your, your aim or your motivation should lie. Can, can, we, can we close down this? and define any more around a process of what you should or shouldn't be feeling towards this goal because people will go out and try this after listening to this right and so they want to there's some kind of quantifiers around it am i just wasting my time sitting here with two bean bags on my, on my feet you know i just feel like i want to look at my phone you know um <laughs> well that's your nervous system okay so your nervous system in train okay. is in trains right and it, yeah. you're now in train with the phone um and so what happens in constructive rest as a starting point? And I would use it maybe for three minutes before you begin yoga. Okay. Okay. As a way of landing in your bones so that you're moving from uh, a kind of intelligence that's coming from, it's, it's going to shape you. It's going to emerge out of you. You're not going in and taking something which is the colonization, right? It's the, I'm going to take this because this is meaningful to me and I can use this and I can benefit from it and I can, you know, it's mine. Exactly. That's not what you are. You're a living organism. So actually, actually turning your cortex, your neocortex towards your primal animal body starts to create a intelligence or a nourishing that 
I mean, literally, your kidneys ride on your psoa. They float on. So if you want to actually, if one of the reasons you're here on Earth is to actually flourish, to actually, like, why are you doing this? You know, like, what are you trying to recruit? What are you mm-hmm. trying to gain? You know, isn't it survival? Isn't it, you know, to be able to create something or to bring your gift to the world? Like, you can see how we've used it as consumerism. It's, it's, it's now we're going in and we're going to, you know, get this thing. Yeah. Now we just want in, we want information on the stars from you, Liz, and we want you know, and um, you know, please teach us how to get that and, and make the most of it for, for you know, at least for our social media. If, if, That's <laughs> the performative piece. If, there it is. Yeah, yeah, if nothing else. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so right. So, I mean, what kind of feedback should we be expecting if we're kind of doing it? Is there any right or wrong, or should we just be wait and watch and listen? And I think, make I think the up. curiosity is always a good sign because if you're a little bit curious, you're not in your sympathetic fight or flight response. So let's look at survival as maybe one of the things we hope to gain from like health, you know, like the ability to feel healthier or to feel more at ease or to feel more confident or to feel less vulnerable. Vulnerability is a really good place to look at because for most people, they don't want to feel vulnerable, right? We want to feel safe. Well, so as messages, whether you're safe or not, that is its main, I mean, in a simple way of thinking about it. Am I safe? Am I not safe? And when I first got into constructive rest and I started playing there and I would find myself jumping up. And at that time, there was no phone that I carried around. It was in another room, you know, and, and people actually knocked on your door, you know, and things like that. And, and, and yeah, really. Um, and I would swear the phone rang or somebody was knocking at my door, you know, and then finally I said, neither of these things are, what is happening? So I tried to catch the moment I, and I realized what I was experiencing was fear. Okay. And, and so I became curious and I turned towards that and rather than kind of anxiety, in which I just got to do something. I got to, I got to, you know, I just got to, um, I, I started to kind of stay there with it and, and just see what else showed up. So that made me very curious. But what it also did is it gave gravity enough time to let down the extraneous excitation that I was holding at the very core of my being. Meaning that I wasn't trying to release myself as like do something, but it was gravity was changing myself because I, animal body Liz, was literally landing on the ground. I was finally here. I had arrived on Earth. And we have to realize that so many of us have birth trauma, partly because of the mechanistic model of birth for the last generations, in which you don't arrive hearing birds singing and smelling flowers. You arrive in a clinical, sterile environment, you know, and you're supposed to relate to the earth. How, how, does, that, how does that work out? Yeah. yeah. Or you can skip to the And then you're carried around in a plastic container. You know, like you don't touch Earth. You don't actually, as an infant, connect to Earth. So you're not what's called in the in the inner in the uh, nervous system. You're not co-regulated. Mammals co-regulate. Our culture, the Western culture, modernity, sees body as individualized, and the way you individualize the body is to isolate. It's actually a form of torture. 
just to put it in perspective. You know, you're actually, so you sleep train your baby. You, you know, you don't, like you're trying to individuate it by making it do something on its own. But actually, as a mammal, we co-regulate, which means body is really important. Another body, a, a, I always think of mama bears. When they watch their, their little baby bear climbing a tree or doing something, you know, beyond being on body, you're looking at all of a sudden the organism is starts to flail. Maybe the branch breaks or it gets afraid. And she lumbers over, grabs baby, and puts it to her body. What is she doing? Well, we think of it as soothing. But what she's actually doing is regulate that nervous system. So it can gain the access that it needs to be able to self-regulate. And if we get all the way to self-regulation, then we're able to be a parent to another animal, you know. But most of us aren't, and yet we still reproduce. So it's, it's so we're looking at our own unmature nervous system, which we want to then do a top-down control. Well, then I just need to recruit more muscle density, and that will make me feel safe. But actually, it's in the bones. It's in the landing. It's in the nourishment nervous system and that's what SOAS is talking about. It's also not, again going back to the idea that it's not a reductionist kind of paradigm where we're labeling parts of our body as if we can know it by looking at okay you know that's that does that and that does that we are we are actually the thing but it's like we can't you can't look at it you are the SOAS right like, you know so how could well, it's, yes, like it's, your, of, it's called your neural core it's literally in the deepest part of your uh, connective tissue and so I, I don't look at cadavers, but when they're studying fluid cadavers now, studying connective tissue, that, that the scientists tell me, you know, when we're looking, we see these kind of like the way the connective tissue forms are almost a bag. And inside that bag is, you know, an organ floating, you know, or, um, or muscle sliding or, you know, and in the deepest, deepest core of your being is your central nervous system, your psoas, your kidneys, and your adrenals. So no one can fix that. If you, if you have poke the psoas, it's like poking a caterpillar. You can keep manipulating. You can trigger point it. You can have somebody go in there and try to fix it. You can't be fixed. You have to flourish. You, know, you can't make a flower blossom by pulling it apart. It's like what would nourish that ability for the organism to really fully show up? That creates safety. That creates coherence is what it's called. Two questions come to mind. One, um, a burning question out of curiosity. When, once you kind of found the sense of, you know, you must have had some experience with the psoas, right? Like, was it revelationary to you? Um, and did you suddenly become really good at yoga? Well, I've never practiced. <laughs> did you become very, very yoga, sexy all of a sudden? Yeah. Or, um, <laughs> uh, I mean, it's not to say I've never been in a, you know, in a, but let's let's use that as an example of what creates better psoas. So really what you're looking at is, well, how could I have the healthiest, most fluid, juicy psoas? Okay, because that's going to really bring me into coherency in everything I do in my life. Okay, whether that's you're looking at balance or you're looking at, at um, endurance or you're looking at resiliency. So it changes the idea of density as strength to resiliency as strength. And we all know water is pretty powerful. You can move mountains, right? And, and build. 
And, you know, anything we think is a construct. So, so the more fluid my tissues, so how do I get hydrated psoas? And in yoga, we can't get hydrated psoas. We actually have to get hydrated psoas to do yoga. So let's turn it around and use the pigeon pose as the example. Any kind of lunge that people think is going to stretch their psoas or make it healthier, it's, yeah, pigeon. Yeah, yeah. This is, well, why not. are you doing that? I was stretching my psoas. How many times have I heard that? Yes, and, and why I, did, is see, that, I, did, yeah. I did recently read that in your stuff, actually. The, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, this is, a, so this is a beautiful example. Yeah. To have, to do a lunge, you have to have a health psoas. Otherwise, what you're actually doing is destabilizing ligaments. Because if your psoas is tight, you can't stretch it. We have to change the paradigm from thinking of so as, as muscle to thinking of it as almost like an organ of perception. You know, it's like you can't make it do something. You have to kind of nourish it, you know, and your tongue, although it has fibers that we call muscular, we don't think of the tongue as something muscular. We think of it as something we taste with, we speak with, it's we express. a very sensitive pet. Yes. So, <laughs> so yeah, there you go. Um, so, so, what we're looking at when we're turning towards the psoas is what would create more, rather than think of psoas as tense or tight or short, think of it as exhausted and dry. Once we turn that around and now we know we're using our psoas to try to find safety, but recruiting it actually creates more a lack of safety because in the ultimate way you can't create strength through density it has to be through the fluid system the fluid is the communication of life through our organs so when we shut it out we dry up so a lot of psoases are dry and and that means it shrinks so it's not short it's shrinking so pulling on tissue that's dry and is not making it healthier. It's more likely you're going to tear something else. You're going to injure something else, which is why pigeon has kind of been taken off the table a lot in beginning yoga is because people injure themselves, right? So we're looking at, well, how do we not injure ourselves? So you have to do some fluid. And that could be things connected to connective tissue. It could be things with, um, I just use balls, like an inflatable ball I work with. You can, you can sim simply stand in your shower, wrap your arms around you, and, and connect, let the water run down your spine. And as you do, try to find a relationship between your tail and your tongue. See if the two will move at the same time. So you're, you're returning to primal movement. So you do primal movement to be more functional in yoga. That's hydrating. So it's not actually literal hydrating, or do we need to actually think about what we eat as well? Well, yes, what you eat and drink and is drink. important. But, yeah. but think about it. If you drink tons of water and you're dry, it's like the dry sponge. You, you, the, the sponge, it won't go in. It won't, go mm. in. It won't be absorbed. Yeah. So I talk about metabolizing. Yeah. We have to metabolize. These kind of restorative gestures support what we love to do. So, so if you're not finding it in yoga, you're, you're, you do it as an adjunct to support. That's why I call it enhancing yoga. Core awareness enhances yoga, Pilates, exercise, and dance. It doesn't How, fix it. 
how do you do for someone who's reluctant to kind of do these natural movements? <laughs> that, you know, like, we, have, we, have, we have this thing called you know we have this thing called five rhythms in in England. I'm not in England now, but um, you know you've heard of it, right? And you dance, and you know, like the people have invited me so many times to come to the five rhythms. But you know, I'm a guy, and you know, and I'm a certain kind of guy, I suppose. And and you know, I'm kind of reluctant to. I'm not very. I'm a bit uptight, I suppose. And you kind of find it difficult to up, you know, to let go. As well, many people do, not just guys, um, and and do those natural fluid movements. And I'm a rubbish salsa dancer, and uh, you know, like I don't have any sway. Um, you know, <laughs> how could I start? Yeah, that's a great question because you know you look at the bodies of indigenous men, and they have movement through their spine, pelvises mm. that move. They're grounded on the earth. You look at the white colonized Western man, they have a column, you know, they have floors, you know, like we talk about pelvic floors. God, I hope I never have a pelvic floor. Like, you know, I have no floors. I have no column. I'm not a building, you know, I have diaphragms and they move. And I, you know, I like to move more like a jellyfish or an octopus, you know, that has that like literal tissue of life in it. And we look at that colonize. And so I've actually written articles about the colonization or what's called the idealized uh, white body. And Resma Manikin, who wrote a beautiful book on racism and, and somatic racism, uh, My Grandmother's Hands, you know, when he and I met, you know, we, I, I started Somatic racism. We're looking at a way, a structure through the what's called modernity. In, in the indigenous cultures, this whole concept of conquering. So you come out of a lineage of conquering, you know, of whether you like it or not, that's your ancestry. Okay, so now you're saying, how do I interface with life? Conquering and then reducing and isolating parts. Yeah, and now how yeah. you're saying, how do I do this? I don't know, I can just go to a five rhythm class and find this and not feel like an idiot or a fool. You know, like, how do I start to feel that? And I think you see that in some of the traditions of people going back to ancestral movement or animal movements, you know, where we start playing. Remember being a kid and climbing a tree and, you know, rolling down the hill and, and you know, curling and arcing and playing like you're different animals and you're on the ground. I mean, that's, I mean, kind of everybody needs to do children's yoga, you know, like when you turn into different animals, like, like thinking of body as animal. You know, something like cat and cow. I mean, you know, you, you, you are working with the spine at that point, but you're not doing it mechanically. You start to feel this, the expression of life that comes through you. Oh, that's deep. I mean, it's just revelationary, isn't it, to look at and to consider the body that way because then it's just a completely different view of the whole of the process of life, i.e. it's not a process you know, with a particular end in mind. It was like, if you, I don't know whether you've read any Michel Foucault, but, you know, he talks about uh, one example of going to a, there's, there's a film crew that goes to this remote village in uh, somewhere, I can't say exactly where, but uh, they're quite untouched by the Western world, for example. And they say, and they say to the villagers, well, what did you think about the film and the plot? And then, and, they said, and then the thing that we're most interested in was the play of the light through the trees. On, on the in the characters, right? Not like the drama and the action and such, but you know, 
And it's just a completely different way of looking at things. Yes, what you're, you're talking what about suggesting feel. It's, you're talking about inclusion of feel. Um, uh, Rupert Sheldrick did a really good video last year during COVID on on this mechanistic world that we're living in and, and what happened, up, like how did it change? How did we get here from being more related to organic responses? You know, how, how did this, and, and he helps kind of as a biologist, but, you know, he's been really criticized because as a biologist, he kept looking at the field. And in biology, you look at the thing, you look at the cell, you don't look at what the cell is growing in. You know, what is influencing the cell? And, and in embryology, it's the same thing. The embryo, so we're having a storm and all of a sudden there's thunder. Um, <laughs> embryo, um, you know, as we come into being, the embryologist, Jan Vanderbilt, speaks of, you know, you are not constructed, you are not made up of cells. You utilize cells to become. And when we start understanding that the field of influence, the field of life, starts to touch us on deep, profound levels, you know, we're being moved. We don't move. You know, so what we're doing to me right now in this is having a conversation around how do we decolonize the very core of our own being? Because we frankly it's like kind of, right? Yeah, somatic deconstructionism, really. Isn't yeah. It? I mean, just kind of looking at things without context. Let's say, like, this is the pre-given context that you're going to see your own body, that you're going to move in it and understand your own nature in. And, uh, you know, and this is, and this is not what I was expecting in the, in, the, in the talk with you at all. <laughs> you know, I mean, all I was expecting to learn about the psoas. You know, and how but that's to fix what the psoas problem. is. It tells you know, us. I have a problem and I want an answer. That, you know. <laughs> well, you know, we can talk about that. We can try and make some money off that then. Yeah. <laughs> After that. Yeah, exactly. I'll try make a profit from this. Yeah. Exactly, I like to turn a profit on the sides. Yeah, yeah, it, well, yeah. It, and so I would say, work on the ankle. If you want to help other people, so as is, work on their ankle. Learn, learn to define ankle glide because when you can get into your joints, if you can sense your bones, your so as has nothing to say. It's <laughs> and it's just fine. Now, if you've been dry, you're going to have to do some little hydrating movements to kind of come out of that dryness. So like when you're talking about my spine doesn't feel like it does those movements, you can regain lateral fission because really if you track the 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 bone, it goes back, it, it evolved out of the ocean. So the earliest vertebrae are is a sea sport. And so we're 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 looking at science here. We're not, you know, we're not making up a story in terms of we're, we're recognizing that we've been in a story, and now how do I bring this awareness into the things that I love, including survival and supporting my family and, you know, being functional. I'm doing pretty well. Um, and, and uh, you know, I've made a life of SOAS. Um, <laughs> but my intention was never to do that. Mm, people kept wanting to know about this thing. And as I kept meeting more and more people around the world, I mean, I've been doing this for 45 years. Um, I've met a lot of people, including a surgeon from Serbia who contacted me during COVID and said, I want to talk about SOAS. And I go, you know, I'm not in the physical health world. And he said, I don't care. I just want, to, I want you to know that when I'm doing surgery on people who injured their spines, I'm in there and I'm seeing dry SOAS. And I go, I go, yes. And he's like, I, I can't do anything. 
for that. Like, I, I don't, you know, like, I, you know, that's not my expertise. And I said, and he said, but I'm starting to find how the Doppler can figure it. And I said, I can look at people and see their psoasis. You know, I don't need to cut them open. I can just look at them. And actually, when you hydrate your psoas, you often restore your central nervous system, your spine, the actual vertebrae of your spine. So bone is fluid also. It breathes. So you can see if I change the concept, if I change the paradigm, all of a sudden, I'm going to be looking at what brings restorative movement. What brings, and in core awareness, one of the models is Derek Stockton, who's a power lift. And, and so he's, he's, he's a five foot nine man, 180 pounds in his 40s when he was doing power lifting. And uh, he could lift four times his own body weight. That man has a very free spine because, and a juicy psoas. And the reason he said is because when you put that much weight, 800 pounds of steel on my shoulders, everything has to pour down through the skeletal system. It, that's the only place that can support that much weight. My organs will, you know, explode. My tissue will tear. But if I can get everything to move through the bones, because bones can handle gravity, right? They have the most density and the most resiliency because they have ground reaction force, ground force reaction. They have rebound. And that's what brings me up when I'm doing a squat with that much on my body. But my psoas has to be incredibly juicy. Because I have to be able to read the skeletal system with no interruption. And if that tissue is dense in some way or interrupting neurological communication, I can't locate. I can't, you know, I'll kind of mm. tweak it or I'll move it and then I'll injure myself. And I watched him injure himself in a meet. I didn't watch him at the meet, but I saw him after the meet. And he, um, he said, I tried to shift my weight a tiny bit, which you're not supposed to do. But he said, you know, I thought I kind of shift something and gain that. And he said, and I tore my SI joints, your sacroiliac joints, which happens for a lot of people. And, you know, most people, it takes years to heal their SI joints. This man, because of his fluid tissue, and he has the most hydrated fluid tissue I've ever seen. He can contract every quad till it's hard like a rock. And within less than 30 seconds, let go of it, it turns into a bowl full of jelly. I mean, so it's resiliency in tissue. And he said, you know, I, I was in bed the next day. I couldn't walk. You know, I had psoas pain. I was like, you know, I was in a lot of pain. But within two weeks, he was fine because he had resiliency. So restoration, think of a river that's dry. You know, restoration is about how do we do these gestures that support us that then can be taken into life and anything where that's happening I suppose I'm always thinking when you're talking about this guy, what does his emotional terrain look like? It must be, and, and now particularly more recently, we're talking a lot about trauma in yoga. And yeah. surely this, you know, like we were talking about the mother bear, the idea of, you know, getting safe. Um, you know, people that have trauma, and we all have trauma to degrees, but people that have perhaps more trauma, um, are they likely to have a dry SOS? And in which case, if you're going back in there, if you're consciously trying to go back in there and hydrate that, it was at the point that the trauma might all come out. I, I have to speak to your language. To go back in there implies that you are not, you okay. are not your body. Sorry. Yeah. That's okay. Yeah, right? yeah, I'm yeah. using it, Adam, because it's I think it's a really beautiful kind of, way of yeah, yeah. rethinking terminology. Mm -hmm. Right? You don't have to apologize. Think about that. Like, 
That is what we think. We have to go inside. We have to embody. Embodiment has become, <laughs> become also colonized, right? I'm going to embody myself. <laughs> We're now going to pierce, you know, and gain and utilize, you know, this thing. Um, it, it's, it's, in, it's, it's insidious. I, want, I, want, I mean, I'm still, you know, working with language. Like, it's, it's incredible how our language keeps objectifying ourselves, right? Like, where are you if you're not body? If you're not your own tissue, if you're not your own cells, if you're not still unfolding, like the embryologist says, you know, you utilize cells to become, then you're infused in all tissue, your awareness of you. So what you're looking at is then the level of trauma of what we call disassociation. And that's part of what happened to us as infants being not correct. So you're right. Not only are there individual hard traumas of, you know, accidents and injuries and, and whatever, emotional abuse, physical, you know, all the different levels of trauma. And then there's what's called soft trauma, which is um, uh, growing in. So growing in poverty, growing in, you know, war zone, you know, being raised in a, a refugee camp, you know, uh, uh, the, the actual environment. But you could almost say colonization is a form of trauma that it actually isn't bringing us into more coherency. And now as a species, we are the only species who destroys every other species, including ourselves. You know, we are in a moment of reckoning, you know, and here we are. And, and so, again, we can't use the same strategy that got us into the problem. So we have to begin to understand what would bring rhythm. Think of rhythm as one of the ways find coherence, right? And, and, and that different rhythms. So that means instead of having a sympathetic response of I'm going for this, this is, that's, that's a movement we use to get to safety. But then we go into rhythms. That means slowing down, lightening up, and, and allowing the biology, the, the literal movement of our fluids and tissue to move us. This is a slowing down, it's a pausing, it's looking for micro-movements, it's not a fix-it model. And yet it, it creates a really deep capacity. So let's use vulnerability going back to that, because that's upper zones. Okay. I just think that there's no possibility with this kind of holistic perspective to, to get out of this double bind. It's like, you're, you yeah. know, if you're emotionally closed down, your psoas is going to be dry and then in which case that will affect your emotions and you know you're in this kind of catch-22 situation i don't see the case why there's so many things what you're saying is this fantastic um i think it's this amazing topic is that have you ever seen the tibetans use different sounds yes they use different absolutely. sound vibrations yes so yeah. sound and making sound and, mm. and and um finding rhythm like a little rock like 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 say Let's use cat and cow type of idea of being on your hands and knees and you're, 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 you're moving from tail to tongue. What if you were not just doing it mechanistically, but you were allowing little movements to restore that river, to bring back that meandering, that ability for the spine to, to move more like a caterpillar than, than be? Those little gestures will change everything. It's like you're, you're, you're taking your system out of freeze. And what we're looking at when we're looking at 
at disassociation. So what we think of, you know, what's being talked about the yoga community of bypass. You know, if I just meditate, you know, that that's actually a very masculine energy to meditate because that's the no, it's really beautiful. If you think about it from the animal body, that's the ability to to come into the field in a way that you are able to be so quiet that you can see the deer that you were about to spear. It's a hunting technique. It's an animal hunting technique. That's not what, what women do. They go into a larger field. The feminine energy goes into that field and holds the capacity for it. In some ways, it's a similar, but it's a very internal rather than external energy. We have both. We want both. It's not one or the other. So you're looking at how do I start to feel into this capacity of my own system to restore? Because that's the trick. In my work, rather than try to do it right, I look at what is interrupting an organism that knows how to self-heal, self-organize, self-right itself, to be competent as, a, as an animal body. What is interrupting? And it can be something very simple. It doesn't have to be this big thing like I need to, and, and I don't believe in discharging as a way of actually solving uh, trauma. Trauma is, what the word means is overwhelm on the nervous system. And so what we're looking at is how do, what, what will allow me to metabolize? And going back to like the water piece, you know, you can drink all that water, but if you're a dry sponge, Nothing happens. But the little bit of moving the sponge, right? Just even making those wave motions. Think of the tide. Think of, you know, those kind of like any fluid movement, a little wave, a little rock, a little undulation, a little spiral. I mean, micro movements we're talking. We're not even talking big dance movements, right? Um, all of a sudden, the tissue starts to open back up. So you're opening up connective tissue. And when you open up connective tissue, you take people out of nerve pain, but you also allow them to metabolize their experiences when they are in a place of safety. Okay, so being on the ground, you know, is one of the ways we find safety. That's mama bear. The now mama bear is the earth. You get on the earth. You literally put your belly to the earth. You literally get a constructive rest on the earth. If you really have no earth to get on, then you get on the floor. You know, of your on the thirty fourth. But you put your arms around a tree. You actually, we have to actually co-regulate with the earth now. You know, and most people will say that. Boy, when I take a walk, you know, in the woods, or I'm sitting by a, a river, I feel like a restorative. You know, I start feeling restored. And certainly, you know, you take people to, you know, to islands and to you know places where re restoration is what you're getting in the movement water and in the breathing of the air and the food and the, you know, creating the environment that holds the restorative capacity. So you can't just go for it. You have to create a container for the space. And that's what you do when you do a retreat, right? Yeah. Are you advising on any other level apart from the physical? Do you talk about emotions or, or better and worse foods? Or I mean, you know, probably well, Probably it's obvious, right? The getting off sleep and don't eat bad food, and you know. It, well, yes, because because right. you know your cells are breathing, and you know if you eat 
if you eat foods that uh, have plastics, you know, like are fake, are, are synthetic. Yeah, a lot of foods do actually have plastics in them. And now they have plastics in them. Well, yeah, babies are yeah. born with plastic in their brain. So, I mean, I, I don't even think I can go there. But, um, but, but, but the ability for the system, think of metabolizing, is longing. That's the emotion. How about that? My first longing is to show up here on Earth. And when the cell divides, part of your cell embeds into your mother's That is a going out and rooting into the earth. Your mother's womb is rooting into her. That is your first longing. Your intestines, your philia go out and they long for what you need. They take what you need. You can eat the best food and it can go right through you. So if your philia isn't like responsive, then you know, longing is about the heart and and what do I really long for? And so many of us have stopped longing. Yeah, that's kind of the drive. We're, we're a freeze, right? We, it's like we're in shock. Um, some of us have longed and then, then, you know, a baby who cries and no one picks it up. That is a level of deep, profound, um, you know, just heart rendering. And what does that pain that baby feels internally when there is no call and response to being here? is uh, natural opiates and the natural opiates uh, basically are the same as the you know fox caught in a trap who chews its own leg off it's the ability for the system to not feel pain when it's being destroyed so when we have natural opiates it also makes us you know the United States is full of opiate uh, addiction you know there is such a deep longing to belong, to be find kinship, find earth, to show up here, to really actually bring our gifts. And I think that the model of emotions has to be switched from the, the Western view, which is a kind of Maslow concept that was the pyramid concept that, you know, you, you, you are born and you're blank slate and now you're going to learn all these things and you're going to mature and then you're going to become an individual. But in the indigenous cultures, it's the other way around. You are a unique soul who is into this earth. And we are here to hold space for you to become fully to flourish, to thrive, to fully bring your gift, because that's what you're here for, is to bring your gift into the world. And how can we hold space for that to show? Also, what I thought you were going to say, it's a model of individuality where you're not seeking to individuate, you're seeking to connect yourself. It seems like the psoas itself is not a problem to be solved at all, but it's certainly not a problem to be solved. <laughs> I've got that now. The problem to be solved, not as an individual either. The, the language even of the individual is... There is a global psoas. Um, yes, I feel like there is yeah, a global the, yeah, the idea that the psoas is a, is, a, is a collective endeavor. It's, not, a, it's a species endeavor. Mm, it's mm. about coherency as a species. It's, it's, it's primal. It's part of, in terms of science and the way we break up the brain, it's the, it's the reptilian brain. It's the primal brain. And most of us are terrified of the primal brain. We've been taught that that's savage, that that's like, you know, like you don't want to be an animal. Yeah. I mm. firmly believe so as is really, you know, it, you can't, it's part of the autonomic services. You can't control it. You can try, you can strangle it, you can use it, 
can manipulate, but what you're doing emotionally, and these are strategies you learned as a young child, was, you know, if you tell a young kid, stop crying, stop crying now. And, you know, and I've heard dads say that to their sons, right, in an airport. You know, I saw this dad, like, he was getting so unregulated. He didn't know what to do with this crying <laughs> kid on this, you know. And this, you know, I used to, you know, stop crying. What does that child possibly do? You know, one, he's starting to feel his own father unable to regulate. You know, then he's like, I, you know, I don't know what he's crying about, but nevertheless, he's upset about something. And the two of them are both, I mean, it felt like I needed to be the mama bear and go hold both of them, you know? It's like, okay, can we all get on the floor here? You know? Do some small movements with your ankles and your hands. Yeah, there you go. You could have started humming, you know? Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> You know, instead of walking across going, I don't know what to do with you. I'll put you in a trash can, you know. It's like we have to. So, so yes, we regulate each other. and But that's different than codependence. And I really want to differentiate that co coherency okay. is not uh, codependence. You know, what to me you want ultimately is to be, to be really connected, uh, to really feel belonging and be free. And there, so that's what we also see in communities in which somebody's holding space, then they become, you know, they, it, it's, it, it happens in the body work world too. You know, someone starts controlling the, the container. I, yeah, I mean, that's, that's exactly it, isn't it? You want to build context, you want belonging, but you want freedom. And I mean, generally, we see one or the other. You know, you've got belonging, but you're pretty much constricted in terms of how society is going to tell you what. And to be, you know, and more and more, I think we've got we've got kind of got the both going on. We've got because we've got great individuation as well, but no one can give you any kind of contextualization of yourself. You can be whatever you want, whenever you want, at any moment, right? Right. right. We're not rooted. We're not. We're not. Yeah. We're not part of the earth. We don't. We're. We're. we're uh, you know, they call it the hungry ghost. You know, we're and part of it's an ancestral story. So to try and get Galamati on the podcast, but he hasn't. <laughs> yeah, uh, yes. Well, his new movie, the, the or you know, the, the people who created the movie, um, uh, I can't who they are, uh, but they, it's called the the wisdom of trauma. It is a beautiful, it is a beautifully well done, and it is about his work and his life. And one of the things he brings into the trauma piece, and there's wonderful people working in the trauma world, but one of the pieces he brings in that I feel so essential is this idea that it's not just what happened to you, it's what didn't happen. You know, and he does speak about being a baby who, you know, his mother only fed him every four hours, you know, and didn't, you know, like, like what happens to the organism that's growing when they don't get certain things? And that's part of the cultural story that we just kind of, you know, we're looking at trauma like we're going to fix it like everything else. You know, mm-hmm. Just give me the tools and I'll, you know, I'll be anti-racist, I'll be anti-trauma, I'll be anti-this. But it's actually a lack of something. And I call that nourishment. There's a lack of capacity in the system. And that's very early learning. So the, going to the vulnerability of that child who's crying. If someone's telling you as a young kid to control yourself in some way, what, what are your strategies, you know? Your strategies is usually muscle tension. And if you're really scared because you're, you're being threatened or shamed, then you're going to, it's, it's actually talked about years ago in uh, Wilhelm Reichsberg. 
So SOAS, you asked about emotion. SOAS is about the fear response. That, that is what it is. It's about primal responses of fear and, and, and safety, you know, and, and, and it's not one or the other. Fear is an important feeling. You know, we want to have that feeling of fear. We want to know this is not okay. I got to get out of here versus I can't read the situation at all. And I'm disoriented. And, you know, I think the ceiling's falling, but I'm looking at it and, you know, I'm, you know, you know, like there's no connection there. So it's not about getting rid of those feelings. It's about how am I with them and what are my resources and how do I land in that ability to notice the subtle things that show up that are really based on my very early developmental phases. And, and so this idea of what happens to SOAS is that unconsciously when we're terrified or scared or feeling like I, I don't belong or I need to or whatever it is, is that your your breath, you know, you hold your breath, right? There's a certain <gasps> response. And that's dive. But behind that is psoas. And when we kind of use our will, okay, I'm gonna stop crying. I can do this. I can show that I, you know, I'm not gonna be, you know, I'm not gonna be vulnerable. I'm not gonna be, you know, soft. I'm not gonna be whatever. Or I'm gonna be the good girl. Or I'm gonna, you know, like be at the way it's supposed to be. What we're doing with the psoas is we're kind of recruiting it as part of the breath. And then what happens over time with that holding is drying, right? Or or density. And but it's pushing slowly the diaphragm forward in the body. And and in doing so, it blocks the amount of blood flow and the amount of oxygen. And what does that do to us is it reduces sensation which reduces feeling. And so then feel more in control because we're manipulating ourselves. And I would say the majority of people, when they start letting go of their upper psoas, and I do it in standing a lot, in swaying through the ankle. Because if you don't have an ankle joint that can glide, if you're mm-hmm. stiff there, you can't actually locate gravity. You're, you're either back here or you're up here, but there's, you know, you're back at yourself or you're forward. But there's no uh, nuance. But when we can nuance gravity, when gravity is literally giving us rebound, giving us support, then we are actually standing in our truth. And all of that lets go, but we have our bones to support us. We stand our ground. We stand on our own two feet. We show up fully in who we are. We're not being manipulated. We're not trying to strategize our way to safety. We just simply are. That's where trauma isn't about what happens. It's about um, it, it starts to, it's not that safety is on the outside. It's safety is on the inside. So I can be in a situation that may be actually unsafe and yet show up there and be, have agency versus Versus trying to make the world around me, you know, kind of safe so that I can hide out. You know, it, it starts to relate us to the world in a way that we can actually put our agency into action. That's fantastic. Do you do, you do breath work with this as well? I mean, it seems like you, you make so. the diaphragm. I, 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 so there is a lot of stuff on releasing the diaphragm. Yeah, I work with is that, is that, 
And one of the word sounds that, because I don't, I believe breath is so primal and so millions of years old that I have no right to breath. You know what I mean? My experience with opening up tissue is that at some point, a feeling being breathed rather than breathe. So to me, breath work is often manipulation. It may be subtle manipulation, but it's still manipulation. And I'm actually more into when I experience myself being breathed, it's just, it's like I am not Liz. I'm a larger organism. I am life itself. I'm entering a flow that is so beyond anything human. Um, so I'm dissolving into something much bigger than myself. And, and when people do breath work, they're still, you know, they're, they're getting the pistons working. They're still using a mechanistic model most of the time. And I'm right. not saying it doesn't have value. I'm just saying I find sound as a way to play that doesn't manipulate in the way I'm making sound. I'm playing. And one of the sounds in constructive breath that I use using a softball behind um, the diaphragm psoas area, I call it warding off gesture. In other words, the organism, the very primal organism is like a caterpillar. It is primal movement. Poke a caterpillar at girls. You know, when it's happy and kind of somebody gets bigger, it starts to show up at its full, you know, and it starts, if it's a tree caterpillar, it starts to actually elongate and arc, you know, and you see that arcing caterpillar expression. Um, that's both a warding off, but it's also getting full. You know, it's getting you know, big. It's getting itself. So we use getting big as both a warding off or a gesture of, of um, primal gesture of fight, you know, or even flight. You know, we get bigger to, to move into flight um, and we get smaller and, and safer as curling in, but it's also turning towards and going into nourishment. So they're not what they mean. They're gestures, they're embryological gestures of the very core of our being. When I started playing with those, I found one thing that happens when you play with things like that, it makes functional movement faster. Like you get more functional faster. When I used to just do functional movement, it seemed like you really have to do a lot. Now it's like I just do this, you know, other, allow my system to just show up and go through whatever it needs to go through. And all of a sudden I'm more functional. You know, I, I can locate better. I can organize better. I can, you know, sustain myself better. So it's, it's, it's fascinating. But one of the ways, it's a warding off. It's on my website for awareness. People can go look at these primal gestures. And I videotape them. They're kind of boring because there's not a lot happening. You know, you're, it's subtle. And as the photographer said, there's nothing happening. That's what I want to show is it's all internal. But I'm making a sound, you know, and I'm playing with sound and rocking. And I do that in the warding off. So one way is to open up the upper psoas is putting yourself in constructive rest, taking an inflatable ball, deflating it, putting it behind that area so that your ribs can actually float on it, your kidneys can float on it, but you're slightly arc, but you're not really pulling yourself into arc. You're just floating on the back ribs. Or, or your back body is open. So you're going back into the back body, and you hiss. And if you hiss really hard for a full long exhale, eventually your diaphragm, I found, starts to move like a jellyfish. It loses its rigidity. And as it starts to kind of float and get this kind of rhythmic movement to it, it starts to move through the, the torso, through the trunk of the body. And as it starts to do that, so as and upper so as 
and and diaphragm start harmoniously together. And when you roll over and stand up, or you roll into fetal curl after that, or whatever you spread out, or whatever you you feel, you take the ball away, you know. And I would say do it like three, because if you you, you want to pause, you want to actually watch your animal body show up. It starts to show up, and it's amazing. You start to move in these ways that you are in control of, but you are you could stop, you could make it stop, but you start to feel the restorative gestures of your own midline or your own neural cord. And when, you know, it's like your inner caterpillar starts to wake up and come out of this kind of death stance that it's been in. And it's phenomenal. It makes, you know, your digestion improves, your breath improves, your sleep improves, your hormones improve, your, you know. So when you're looking at psoas, you're looking at, at, at a, a, a simply a messenger that's telling you, Something's not okay here. Something's not okay. And we need to turn towards that. And okay, Liz. Well, I think we could go on a lot longer, but we've done an hour. And there's a lot of people getting bored here. They're in the golf. And, and I suppose you would add in just, well, what are you working on now? What, what's your next, where are you going from this? What's, the, what's your next interest? I, I'm interested in why we're terrified of the animal body. That we are a mammal. That, that, that the. the did you read The Tempest recently? Did I what? Go back and read The Tempest, Shakespeare. Okay. okay. I will. I will. Mm. Thank mm. you. Thank yeah, nature, not nature. Yes. Yeah. 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 So that's what's wild, is um, Caliban, he's the. He's the yeah, yeah. Um, I suppose you wouldn't recommend like on a parting shot. You probably wouldn't recommend people doing it like a uh, kind of schematized uh, structure system like Ashtanga Yoga either. As a because <laughs> it's a pattern. Ashtanga Yoga is a, is a is a formulaic pattern of movement, right? Like so, then people kind of I just envisage people coming away and saying, "Well, we've got to be free and and, and just play with the movement and not shut down on ourselves." And now we're we're in a bit of a quandary about whether to do this Ashtanga Yoga, which is a linear system, which is a de- designated uh, structure of certain postures and sequence. <laughs> what do you think? I, I think that I think that that the um, it's not an either or. It's never an either right. or. That's what coming okay. midline is about. It's not about right and wrong. I should. I shouldn't. It's it's about how you how how you inhabit your own being and what shows up for you and you know it's like the person who says to me um i meditate i'm a meditator and i'm having psoas issues you know i sit 14 hours and meditate and i go you know i think the answer is right there it's not that anything's wrong with meditating there's nothing wrong doing a linear movement pattern. You know, there's nothing wrong with following a tradition that really touches you deeply and brings something deeply profound to you. You know, it's not there's a right and wrong. It's about following what is true for you. And and for me, someone meditating 14 hours, that's not life. You know, that's not that's not being having agency in life. That's a disconnect. But that doesn't mean meditating is wrong. Or, you know, it's like, if you want a healthy psoas, I wouldn't sit for 14 hours. I don't care if that's in an office chair. 
or, you know, uh, Zafu. You know, it's like you're, you're looking at rhythm, rhythms of your life, times when you're focused and you're, you know, and you're centered. And, and, yeah, and yeah, the and that there are mind. different rhythms. There's different rhythms. And, we, and that we can That's play all. many different rhythms. Yes, mm-hmm. and each of us need different mm-hmm. rhythms because mm-hmm. your rhythms are going to be different than my rhythms. And, you know, and for lots of reasons, you know, and so it's not, a, it's not that everybody needs to do one thing. It, that's that structure. That's that mechanistic, you know, industrialized complex where we're all going to move through the assembly line a certain way. But that's not true. And the traditions of yoga are not Western mind. So there's a lot of depth there that the Western mind has, you know, taken, you know, and, and colonized. But the traditions are, are actually, many of them are, you know, Ayurvedics, you know. I mean, it's like there's a deep, relationship to land, to ground, to showing up here, to, to rooting where you where you are, to really rooting in the land that is yours. You know, and, and we, most of us are what Martin Shaw calls scatterlings. You know, we, we actually don't know where we belong. So it's always rhythm. Going back to simply rhythm is one of the ways to think about this ebbs and flows, infolding and unfolding. The organism is constantly in a movement of one or the other. It's not a static structure. Hmm. Making that to yourself and relating to the other. It also goes back to your kind of primal gestures of you know, expansion or kind of contraction. Right? Yeah, well, and they both have deep restorative gestures. The fetal curl can be, I mean, everybody, so so as moves you through space, meaning that if I fall out of a tree or, you know, I'm propelled in a car, my organism will curl. It will roll into curl. So what I do when I'm working with people is I look at a person's expression. And if if that's where they're going, I don't try to pull them out of that stream. I do something so like hanging over a fitness ball, going into child's pose, you know, and literally following the movement of the organism. The organism is intelligent. What is interrupting? So I follow where it's taking. If a person comes in and their ribs are splayed, in yoga, it's always, you know, and I'm not sure it's always, but the idea is in fitness, when you're looking at yoga through the fitness lens, is to pull the ribs down and in and hold them. That is not good for yourself. That is taking an adaptation. Why are the ribs playing? Well, a person is boarding off. There's somehow there, whether they know it or not. I take them into, maybe not a back bend, but, but into uh, going into that expression. So you're actually allowing the system, because it's a living system, to do what it knows how to do, which is restore its harmony, restore its coherence. And then we start to see where we're being nourished, you know, where, but the intelligence is there because you wouldn't be here if you didn't have the resources. So the resources are actually both without you, what's holding the container of, you know, the space of what's holding you, like the mother's womb, and the internal intelligence. And there's a conversation there. You know, that's what, what somebody like Rupert Sheldrick recognized in the cell or Bruce Lipton recognized in genetics. You know, it's not what 
what turns a gene on or off? It's the feel, you know, and in biology, it's like morphic feel. What shapes you into human or into a elm leaf or, you know, like, what is it that makes us us? Cells are cells are cells, you know? There is no differentiation. So what creates that differentiation is the morphic feel. So you're always looking at relationship. You're always looking at relationship of and it's a it's a breath, right? It's an inhale and an exhale. It's the flow of life. All right. Thank you. We'll leave it there. <laughs> I think you could, you know, we could, we could definitely talk more. Um, but wonderful um, episode and. Well, thanks, Liz, for your time. And I never know how to end this, but you know, I think people will, will really appreciate this. And let us know. Thanks, Liz. Thank you.